0: today go
1: oh it went good it went good I got a couple guys actually uh, in town from AZ that was fun and uh, got some good work in so today went well my internet was not working at the end there so always fun but (laughs) I'm not a big I'm not a big tech guy so the the tech stuff for me sometimes get
0: gets me a little fired up so that was uh, what was what were you using the internet for were you just showing them some video and stuff
1: yeah, so I, I send a lot of videos from here. So, like, when I make either a voiceover video or I make, like, myself showing a drill or something, I send from the cage. I try and get most of my work done here. Um, we got a nice little, uh, like, 6,000-square-foot cage here. Yeah, and We got beautiful. three seventy 70-foot cages with the, the big, tall, like, 20-foot ceilings and 25-foot nets. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of a fun little one. It's kind of our little home you know it's it's old school, my boss played at l c State he's been doing this in the state of Washington for years and years and years and years so he's uh he's got a little bit of that old school so he don't like that cookie cutter kind of look you know
0: yeah no so, i I agree you guys have you don't have hit tracks or anything like that in there
1: uh Conforto bought me Rapsodo like I'd say what four years ago now kind of when it first started coming out he went out and and bought it for me and and just kind of gave it to me and And I use Rapsodo, you know, occasionally. I think that, uh, you know, for some of my youngins or some of my high school guys that are, you know, hey, I want to go to a Pac-12 school. And it's like, I don't know any Pac-12 guys that are below 90 miles an hour on their exit velocity. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to be able to show them that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with, like, recruiting videos nowadays and and a lot of these colleges are asking for it, right? So I think it is an important metric. Um, You know, obviously, if you make a swing adjustment and your exit velocity drops a big amount, there's probably something behind that, right? So I think that there's there's a time and place, but in my experience with with Rapsodo, I've seen a lot of like, you know, a lot of really good looking swings, and then when they, they go on Rapsodo, it starts becoming a, a little bit more of a slow pitch softball home run derby. But um, you know, as, as long as we're using it the right way, I, I like to use it when I'm doing mixed BP. Um, mm-hmm. I like to do it when it's more of a live setting. You know, when we have our our pitching Rapsodo set up and our hitting Rapsodo set up in the same cage when we're doing live stuff. Um, you know, closer to the season time. I think there's a lot of value there, but most of the time our Rapsodo is kind of getting used as a
0: paperweight, so. <laughs> I love it, an $8,500 paperweight.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the the first one we got was like five grand or 4,500 or whatever. It's, it's not the second one, but that's a very expensive paperweight. Touch sure. paint, yeah, exactly. No well, doubt, ahead. no Ready? doubt.
0: I don't want to yeah, yeah. keep this in. Sometimes it depends on what we talk about before just to get warmed up. Uh, I'll keep it in. I think I'll keep that, keep that stuff in. But you ready for an official start? Yeah, 100%. All right, let's do it. All right, hello and welcome to Swing Smarter Monthly Newsletter. This is your host, Joey Myers from hittingperformancelab.com. And with me today is actually our first intro. We had a little phone call earlier today, but I've heard so much about Curtis Nelson through a mutual friend, Daniel Robertson, we call him D-Rob. And uh, Daniel was hitting with Curtis quite a bit in the off season, this this past season that he played in, not this last year, but the year before, and I think the year before. I think it's been a couple years. But yep. uh, I've heard I heard a Curtis through D Rob, and there's a lot of mutual hitting minds that that surround Curtis. So first of all, it's, I want to welcome you to the show. Welcome, Curtis. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. Look yeah. forward to it. Thanks for coming on, man. Um, okay, cool. So. We had a little conversation, which uh, I'm gonna keep in, like I said, about Rapsodo and different things, and and got to see your cage. That's kind of cool. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you, since you know I've seen a lot of your stuff on Twitter, and I agree, I agree with, I think most of it. And you're one of those guys we call them lone wolves, mad scientists, and the guys that tend to think for themselves and don't follow others' lockstep right you take a little bit of something somebody's saying hey i think that works let's go try and experiment with my hitters and see if if that'll work with them if it does you keep it if it doesn't you throw it away and so i'm really looking for those lone wolves the ones like myself who are on like a passionate curiosity journey to try and find what the truth is what really works so my question to you is what are the top two things, mistakes that you see out there on, whether it's Twitter, social media, whatever that you see coaches doing when they're teaching hitting?
1: Yeah, I think the, the first one to me kind of goes back to at a very young age, you know, kind of what is the, the typical things taught with very young hitters. Uh, and you're typically going to see, you know, take the weight back, take the hands back um, as a pretty generic kind of thing taught. And I think if you look at a lot of, um, really good swings. You know, there's so many different guys out there. I love all their swings. And, and there's, there's obviously, you know, there, there are different commonalities. But at the same time, I think you see so many hitters that have this certain sequence in, involved in, in when they get to a certain position, right? You know, so you see some hitters might have a, a certain movement in their swing that might be different, um, but it works for them. But I, I think at a young age, you see a lot of hitters with a big movement backwards a huge hand load getting outside the body um, and it just starts to create these habits at a a young age that that can really start to affect us as we get older and pitching gets better. I I really like to see, you know, limiting the amount of move we go back and allowing our hands to kind of get to a good hitting position, um, you know, more on the forward move. We don't want it to be rushed. We don't want it to be something that, you know, is kind of jerky. It might feel that way for someone and feel more smooth for another person that's the individuality, individuality about it. But ultimately, I think that that would be like my number one thing I see is so many hitters come in and they're constantly with a big shift back, a big hand load on the way back, and they're constantly fighting their bodies. So that's, that's the number one for me. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about not chasing, you know, results and chasing exit velocity. Um, you know, I, I think it, the exit velocity side of things is something that's important for hitters to know and understand. And like we were saying before, you know, if you see a big drop in exit velocity, you see a big drop in how the ball's coming off the bat, then then there's some roles there for us. But I see a lot of hitters, a lot of young hitters nowadays on the Internet that are trying to kind of chase results instead of kind of chasing the process that, that brings about the results. Everything for me is about getting hitters better in the game Is we have to be better hitters in the game. Whatever we're doing inside in terms of training – it needs to translate to the game. So if whatever you're doing, whatever style or thoughts you're doing or however you're training is translating to the, the game outside and you're a better hitter because of it, then great. You know, we'll work our way around those things to a certain degree and and make sure we understand the difference. But I think those are my top two things right now is making sure that whatever we're doing is going to translate to the game because that's all that matters. We don't want to be cage hitters. We want to be game hitters.
0: Right, and I know one thing when D-Rob was was training before his last year in independent ball, he was doing with you guys, you you mentioned it here too, is the random pitch training. So explain that a little bit, how you guys do that and how that looks.
1: You know, I started doing it as a player when I was young, myself and one of my good friends, Cody Atkinson, who's actually – he's with the Texas Rangers as a coach now. Um, And and we started doing it as players, and it was just our our best way to emulate game pitching – you know, it was just doing mixed BP. We always called it dirty from 30. You get about 30, 35 feet away. We're not trying to throw as hard as we can. It's just a crispy BP fastball. And We were just mixing and breaking balls and, and really just kind of playing games against each other. You go play nine-inning game and, you know, you get three outs and you kind of be judge and jury. And it kind of, you know, it brought about some good competition between us. And, and, but really, ultimately, it taught us how to have an approach, how to be on time to the fastball, how to adjust off the fastball, on some breaking ball stuff, and I think it really it shows the the holes in the swing. It shows where the weaknesses can become, you know, and some guys it might even just be the mentality change that, that might be the difference. So you can see a lot from, from just doing just kind of a mixed BP, you know, can I cover the fastball away and still cover the breaking ball? Can I cover the fastball in and still take the curveball down and away kind of thing? It shows us a lot. So I, I'm a huge proponent of it. You know, we do our machines. We do our challenge stuff. You know, because I can't throw the ball 90 miles an hour. But at the end of the day, you know, we do need to see it, that live arm and that kind of mix and having to make a decision rather
0: than just seeing a pitch down the middle every time on a machine, you know. Yeah, very smart. Yeah, and there was a study that was done. <clears throat> I can't remember the guy's name offhand on YouTube. But it was a video. Actually, I don't know if he did the video. I think it was maybe in one of the books that I'd read. But it was a Cal Poly study. It was Cal Poly baseball guys. And it took half the hitters – half the fielding hitters, they worked what they call mass practice. So they did 15, they they took BP where they took 15 fastballs, they hit 15 fastballs, hit 15 curveballs, hit 15 changeups, And then they had the other half of the, the hitters, the fielders, did what you're talking about, a mixed BP. And even though the second group that got the mixed BP early on wasn't very good, their showing a BP wasn't very good, But what ended up happening is they got better as the season progressed and their numbers were better, which you're talking about transitioning it into the games, which I hear I'm sure you do, too, from parents and even players. How do we transition these mechanics into the game? Because we're seeing a great swing in the cage, but then in the game, they're not really performing. And that study, which you're talking about mixed BP, I think it's one of the most important things. And that's a study that shows right there. That was was just one season. But I bet if you took it over three, four, or five seasons, you'd get the same result. It would just obviously look a little bit different.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, really, it comes down to kind of open skill and closed skill environments, right? I mean, in golf, the ball's not moving. It's it's a very closed type skill. Um, you know, we kind of know our outcome before it happens, and and I, it actually leads into to one of the one of my pet peeves. And I grew up hitting like this was. You know, you see the outside pitch, and you immediately are trying to go oppo with it and manipulate that result, where the only thing that dictates where that ball goes is my timing, right? Mm-hmm. So we, I, I, one of the first things I tell hitters when they walk in the cage with me is, I'm never going to tell you to pull the inside pitch. I'm never going to tell you to hit the outside pitch the other way. Your timing will tell you. Your job is to hit through it and just kind of see what happens, and then you can make adjustments off of that. Um, but that open skill environment of having to basically variable change, right? You have to have the ability to be on the fastball and then adapt and adjust. And I think so much of hitting is about that adjustability. Because how often are we right on time? How often are we perfect? You know, guys in the big leagues are, are you know, there might be perfect 30, 40, 50 times in a year, you know, and getting paid a lot of money for it. But, you know, we're not getting five, 600 at bats. So we have to be a little bit more adjustable to a certain degree at a younger age level, at least breeding that into them at a younger age level um, to, to have that ability to, to naturally translate over to the game. So a lot of hitters that I see that struggle on that transition from cage to game, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of machine where it's in the same place every time. You know, they're doing a ton of T work, a ton of flips. Um, you know, we don't typically use T's in here very often. Very, very rare you know, with younger guys, I will. But but a lot of times with my college and my professional groups that are coming in, we're really not using tees at all because we want to see the ball moving. You know, sometimes we'll use a tee for a feel in, in kind of maybe a specific drill. But as a whole, we want to see that thing moving and having and making decisions, doing you know just hard, soft flips or you know fastball, curveball, mix BP or full on you know do, you know dirty from 30. Anytime you get an opportunity to do that, you you're gonna be playing the game of baseball in that environment, much more like outside, right? So it's going to translate over better. And then when it doesn't translate over, now you can start looking at some of those pieces within the swing that uh, that might play a role with why it's not translating over or in the head, you know what I mean, in terms right. of mentality. So
0: Right. Do you, do you guys do any kind of approach? Do you have – so uh, you were mentioning, hey, if the ball's away, you don't have to spray it away. You can pull that ball. And my my last year in college at Fresno State, we got the new coach was Coach Batesel, who was a coach And Now my last year is two thousand three, so I wasn't a part of the two thousand eight College World Series team. But he was a coach yep. at that time. So he was my my last year was his first year. And one of the things he told us, he said. And the first time I had learned this was to have a two-thirds away or two-thirds in approach. So two-thirds of the plate away or two-thirds in. Now we just go half. We go half away or half in. Uh, that's how we do it now with my hitters. But that was the first time I had heard that to split the plate into two-thirds. And he said, if you're looking two-thirds away, he's as a righty. So as a righty, he said you can work left center field all the way to right field. So anywhere in there, you can hit the ball. You don't have to hit it straight to right. And the opposite is true if you're looking two-thirds in then you can work right center all the way to left. And that was the first time I'd heard that because most of my coaches would say, "Hey, if it's away, boom, hit it over there, right? Hit it where it's fit. Do you guys do any kind of approach like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, through the years of doing this now, I mean, you, you, you've, we've seen them all, right? There's so many different approaches. And I think that as long as whatever we're thinking is working, then great, then do it. But at the same time, I think that like thinking in general, we talk about open skill, closed skill environment. Hitting is one of the most purely reactionary sports there is in in terms of hitting a baseball that's moving that can change direction and speed and everything right so sometimes approaches i feel like is almost too much thinking for some hitters um so you know we've done the whole look away react in we've done the you know the even counts you're looking middle away the, the positive counts you're looking middle in um you know i in the past i've talked about going to your strength is you got a positive count if your strength is middle middle out then look there to drive it to the big part of the field. If you like pulling the ball and you're better middle, middle end, then in that count, look in those, you know, those places that you have success. I think the best hitters in the world in terms of the, the best swings and approaches, they can game plan their approaches off the pitcher. Hmm. And I think that if you don't have any holes in your swing, now you can go off of what the pitcher's weakness is. You know, it, I think generically people tend to look at what the pitcher's outpitch is or how he's trying to beat you. And then we try and counteract that. Instead of going, well, how is he going to get ahead of me to get to that point? You know, if I'm looking middle in because he's going to beat me there, but he actually gets hit up and away, then maybe I'm looking up and away, and I'm going to kind of own that zone based on the guy I'm facing. Now, when you start getting into game planning based on pitchers, you got to have spin rates, you got to have you know a scouting report of of how he is um, as a pitcher in general. So if we don't have that information, we got to keep it pretty simple. So. You know, I think with with driveline and what they're doing with the pitchers nowadays in terms of tunneling pitches and making pitches look the same for a longer amount of time, um, the game is not getting any easier, right? So, you know, we want to know where to look. And I I think that we talk a lot about arm angle. If a pitcher's way off to the side, more three-quarter arm slot, you know, you you should be looking up and out for that guy. You're facing Bumgarner and he's throwing the ball from second base. Well, then we want to be looking up and out so, Because the ball's coming from that direction. And I think a lot of people make the mistake, and it works at a younger age level when the ball's not moving as fast, but a lot of people make the mistake of looking at the plate because not always where it starts is not always where it's going to finish based on what kind of movement they have. So oftentimes you're looking middle in, and out a hand it looks middle in, and then it's going to hit you in the hands, or you're looking middle away, and then next thing you know you get a slider that's in the other batter's box that you chase. So we try and kind of counteract what we're facing by kind of how we're you know how and where we're looking, um, to a certain degree. Obviously, that depends on the level you're at. Sure. Um, with some of my younger teams, we're trying to keep it as simple as possible. You know, I think that uh, a few years back with one of my teams, we had some pretty darn good hitters and some good swings. We we ended up just kind of taking the approach of doesn't matter what count it is if it's a strike, let's smash it, and just kind of the old sea ball hit ball approach and just make sure we're on time and adjustable from that point. And we had a lot of success with that. So we we basically said we're going to flat out own the zone and we're going to take balls, you know, and the guys were mature enough to go do that. Some hitters need to be a little bit more specific about how they think. And, you know, I, I kind of always go full circle with things and, and making them more individually based per the hitter, right? If I got a hitter that flat out pulls the ball like there's no tomorrow and is a really good pole hitter, then that's probably where we're going to look is probably something that you can pull to a certain degree, especially early in counts, but that also limits him on his ability to adapt and adjust to what he's facing to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to kind of get that complete hitter, the swing has got to be able to kind of withstand different zones, different timings, and different angles of pitch um, to be able to game plan fully. I think the better the swing, the easier it is to game plan off the pitcher, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do.
0: Right. So with your younger hitters, and I know when you say that if you got a hitter that's just dead pull and and that's a strength, you're probably talking about the older guys, like whether it's high school, college, you know, on up, you're probably, what about the younger guys? Do you have a more of a being able to use all field approach? And if so, if you have them set up, like what we do, we do small private groups. So we have Mm -hmm. between two and four hitters in a group with the whole COVID thing, we we used to do six, but I try and keep it you know, to four at the max, and we're pretty spread yeah. out, we're outside and stuff. Um, so what, what we do is we set up the tee at the beginning, we take our ball exit speeds, but what I'm also looking for is not only the number, but I'm looking for, we set that tee up so it's center, center. So they should be hitting it right up the middle, right? So what I'm looking for and I'm, I'm uh, uh, observing is if they're pulling all five swings that they're going to get or they're going the other way all five swings where it's center-center. Do you do anything like that in an eval and try and get them to make an adjustment? Not, not so much off the
1: tee. I, I think we film everything, so I'll film a rear view angle so I can kind of see ball flight, mm-hmm. I can see timing, posture, hand path, and then we'll do a side view. And I think that I've always gone to the film – you know, you look at contact points, you look at when when the barrel's coming out, you look at timing, and then you look at how it's coming off, right? I mean, if you're taking middle pitches and you're just hooking them every time into the net, you know, the film's going to show you that you're around and outside that ball pretty early, right? So, ultimately, we want a hitter that can cover line to line. I want somebody that can drive a ball dead straight off, and the ball flies straight with backspin, and then all of a sudden that pitch is inside, or they're a little bit early, and they can pull it with true flight. I think that, especially in Washington State, we get a lot of hitters that only hit when they're inside until the gate because there's just not a lot of fields out there that you can hop on, and just a lot of hitters are just doing indoor lessons and practicing inside, so they just don't see the ball flight as well, and, and I think that's where the wraps are on the hit tracks can be nice you know, in terms of being able to really truly see where that ball's going. Yep. Um, also, with how cages are built, right? we have these kind of tunnels and cages where we get this kind of tunnel vision going. Um, where a lot of hitters will come in and just pepper the back net pepper right center and not pull a single ball into the net we had a lot of hitters in Washington that just pushed the ball into right field so you know learning how to pull the ball correctly or learning how to drive the ball opposite field correctly um, it's different for everybody but but ultimately I rely on the film um, in the flips I'm not doing a lot of the T stuff but if you find value
0: in something, man, by all means, do it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> if you were going to teach a guy, if, if he was pulling everything into the left side of the net or even going oppo way too much, how do you how do you get an oppo person to learn how to pull the ball and how do you get a pull person to learn how to – what's your go-to drill for that?
1: I mean, it depends on what the the reason is why, whether it's just a mentality thing. That's where I think tapping into each hitter and learning your hitter and understanding what their thoughts are or what they're trying to do. And then you can compare that to the film. Um, you know, we have something called a deep dive where you kind of dive into the analytics a little bit in terms of professionals. You go look at all the analytics. Then you compare it to game film. Then you compare it to the indoor cage routine stuff. So if you have all that information, I think it starts to paint the picture a little bit of why they might not pull the ball in the air as well or might, why they might be pushing the ball oppo. Um you know, so, but ultimately I think that I, I'm going to look at the film. I'm going to look at how they're moving, you know, and then obviously I think that like you're talking about is putting them on that tee and getting a feel for this was D Rob's argument to me mm-hmm. um, about the T stuff. Cause he loved the T stuff. And that's where I told D Rob, I'm like, man, at the end of the day, if that is a routine that has built you and felt, you know, you're finding comfort in a certain position that maybe you're not feeling when the ball's moving, by all means, getting on a tee and feeling that contact point out or or hitting the ball deeper or hitting the ball more out in front, you know, based on what you're trying to create, you know, you can gain a feel in that atmosphere. So I'm not saying that I'm against tees by any means, um, but I'd much rather see the ball moving and how they respond to it moving um, with some film on it so we can kind of see that overall picture. But I think it's going to be different for every hitter based based on what they're thinking, based on what their mechanics are, and then obviously comparing that to the results or any kind of data that we do have. Um, but that's a good question. I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I can hear a lot of what you're talking about is timing. So there's a lot of people out there, believe it or not, that say that timing cannot be taught. So what would you say to that coach, instructor, parent that hears that comes to you and says, you know, Curtis, so-and-so said that timing cannot be taught. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I I, I teach timing every day. I <laughs> teach it every, every single day. I think that, uh, you know, some hitters are going to grasp some concepts better than others, you know, and some hitters have that, you know, just kind of ability to be on time more consistently, whether that's because of their swing or because of their athleticism, their hand-eye coordination, whatever it is, they have a gift that is, you know, to show up on time more than others. Uh, but I would say 95% of the hitters that come through my cage, getting them aware of their move, you know, whether it's improving the move first and then making them aware of their move in relationship to time and space um, is one of the most important things that I do is that, you know, I, I truly believe there are hitters out there that just time naturally and they're just it's very natural for them to do. So they don't need to understand their timing. They just show up on time more often than others. Um, but there's, but for every one of those guys, there's 150 to a 1, thousand of the other guys that need to understand their timing Um, we do a lot of timing stuff in here, you know, just really a lot of rear view film just to kind of show hitters, when are you picking up in relationship to where the pitcher is? Um, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about getting your foot down early, get your foot down early, get your foot down. early. that's all we ever heard when we were late. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can breed a lot of issues. You know, if you got a swing like Rendon or Nelson Cruz or Paul Goldschmidt, that is a different type of stride. You still see them have a good feel of time they get that foot down and then the body shifts back to center um, to a certain degree to hit. Everyone's a little bit different on that aspect. But, you know, ultimately, I think rhythm and flow, you know, we talk a lot about flowing, a lot about dancing with the pitcher. Um, You know, those are some pretty simple terms that, that can apply to timing. But, you know, if you can arrive on time to a good fastball and then you can still have adjustability on breaking balls, we got a great opportunity to hit in the game. And you know, having markers in the swing or, or the pitcher, whether it's, you know, some guys like to go on handbrake or some guys like to make their move on arm up or other guys like to, to just game plan off of like, hey, I'm ready to pull the fastball, even though I'm not trying to. There's different ways around that to get somebody on time, but making hitters more aware of their timing when they're on and when they're off or when they're late
0: or they're early um, is a really, really crucial piece to what we do here. Very cool, man. Uh, before we get to where people can find a little bit more about you, kind of closing in here, I want to ask you just one more question on that. So, if you got some young hitters that come in, so think about the team that you were talking about, the the young guys where they're just basically yeah. swinging at strikes, take balls. <clears throat> if they're facing a really slow pitcher, which tends to happen quite a bit, where the pitcher can't break a pane of glass, what are some of the adjustments that you have them make or go through?
1: Man, it's it's such a good question. I love <laughs> answering this question, and I, I think that when I was younger you know, the generic, and you still hear it with hitters, you still hear it with coaches, Um, you know, what everyone's taught against that soft lefty. I mean, I remember showing up to the field and we're facing a a Pac-12 recruit throwing 93, 94, and I'm like, we're going to score 10 runs today because we hit this guy. Like, there's no tomorrow. We're prepared for this. And then you show up and you face that soft lefty throwing 75, and I'm like, I don't know if we're going to have a hit today. You know, it's a bad feeling because when I was growing up, it was like you saw the slow guy warming up and you're like licking your chops going, well, I'm about to be three for four with a couple doubles and a home run, and, and that guy usually didn't make it out of the you know the first inning. And then I think it goes into the kind of training nowadays. There's a lot of machine, a lot of velocity, a lot of that stuff, you know. So we're better against firm. But I do think that the approaches and the way we're taught against those guys can really play a role because we're all you know growing up, we were all taught to hit that guy off of, push that ball into right, hit it off, of, you know, let it travel, see it deep, start your rhythm later. And, you know, make a a forward move later in the process, however you want to say it. And uh, I think that actually is what the lefty pitcher wants you to do. Right? That guy wants (laughs) you to be defensive. He wants you to push the ball off of. He wants you to wait back on him, you Mm -hmm. know. And and typically, I think the best approach against the soft guy is to shrink the zone. Make the zone smaller. He doesn't have the ability to strike you out unless you chase his pitches. And you're going to see his pitches better because the ball's moving slower. We see the ball better when it's moving slower. You can't yep. argue that. So at the end of the day, if you shrink your zone and go, hey, I'm going to be here. This is my go zone against this guy. I'm not chasing those pitches out there, even if they look hittable because it's moving slower. You know, I think we're going to have a lot more success doing that. You know, we're not necessarily trying to go oppo, but we're not trying to go up there and roll over the third first pitch either. You know, so I think it's it's really just commanding your zone and kind of going back to the simplicity of just trying to hit through the ball and see where it goes. And I think we tend to manipulate – the swing because of what we're facing, you know, that slow guy, it's like, oh, I'm hitting a home run against this guy, so we're spinning off that slow one away. And we tend to beat ourselves more than they beat us, you know. So we try and stay away from the generic hit the ball oppo against the slow guy um, kind of a mentality and just kind of stick to and say, hey, this guy only beats me if I chase, so let's get a good pitch to hit.
0: Yeah, that's funny you say that because <clears throat> that's that's the same with the same lefties that we're seeing. They can't break a pane of glass. You see the guy throwing 93, 94 and then you get, yeah. that guy. Um, you know, that the, the guy's throwing 93, 94. It's Friday night and then Saturday night you see the, the guy can't break a pane of glass. And it's yeah, let's if it, it's a way I'm going to just pepper it to the opposite field. But one thing, he's throwing slow anyway, so you're gonna have to wait longer. And then now you're saying that you want to hit it the opposite field, and now you've got to wait even longer. You got to see it even deeper. So it's almost like it's two two double negatives there. So yeah, totally. I I I get that. <laughs> you're chasing your tail basically. So yes. hey, uh, Curtis, I appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find you? So I know I know you're on Twitter because that's where I've seen you. Uh, if you guys have a website. Where you guys are in Washington, if anybody wants to come out and check you guys out, where, where can more people find you?
1: Our cage out here is called Atkinson Baseball Academy. It's out in Kirkland, Washington. Um, I, I know there's a website for the cage. I'm I separate from that in terms, of, uh, in terms of my hitting instruction. I am on Twitter. It's, it's Nelson Hitting. It uh, used to be Cheat Hack Nation. It was kind of a joke that we, we threw together when I first developed it <laughs> because of all the swings we were seeing. Uh-huh. Um, that were a little bit uh, aggressively big. So, um, you know, I, I don't have my own personal website. I probably should by now, but uh, I spend majority of my time in the cage with hitters. So the internet and, uh, and social media side of things, I'm still relatively, um, I'd say, beginner at. So <laughs> that's the, I would say Twitter is the best way to reach out. Um, if you have anything, just shoot me a DM, and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can.
0: I love that. Yeah. And uh, probably maybe not a hundred percent probability, but you can take a hitting coach like yourself, who's always in the cage doing stuff. You can take where like somebody like you, I could, I, you think he's got 20,000, hundred thousand followers. Cause it's great stuff. Like if you read your stuff, you watch the videos that you put up and think it's awesome stuff. And you should have like the 50,000, a hundred thousand but the reason you don't is because you're not on Twitter all the time. You're in the cage, <laughs> actually working with hitters. So yes. you know, that that's always not always a sign of a good hitting coach. But I would say more likely than not, I guys like Matt Pierce and Jeremy Johnson. These guys like they don't really have big followings, but they got dude, they got great gems that they put out there and can really help hitters. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing out there in Washington. Keep up the great work um if you see uh d rob before me uh say hi to him i know he i think he's what well he's up in seattle right he's still living in seattle
1: yeah he's over
0: in west seattle yeah
1: they they got a bridge out so it's pain in the butt to get in and out of west seattle right now but uh yeah he's over there he he pops in the cage and comes hangs out you know his experiences and and his knowledge is is just bar none i mean he's been doing it for so long it's it's a lot of fun getting that guy in the cage and just you know kind of just talking shop so pretty Mm -hmm. cool
0: yeah, he's a he's a Yoda for sure, and you know I, I can really see. I know he wants to be a GM, and I can see that he's he's got the like you said the chops on the field. He understands intellectually the game, and it's, yeah, like you said, it's it's fun to talk with him. So tell him hi for me if you see him before me. And how far is uh, Kirkland from Seattle? So how far are you guys away?
1: Uh, very close. If you take away traffic, so right now with COVID and everything, the, yeah. the freeways aren't as crazy out here right now, but. You take away traffic, I can get over to West Seattle. It's kind of over by the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, can, you can get over in that direction in, in you know, 20 minutes, you know, 15 okay. to 20 minutes. But you throw in the traffic of the the normal out here, you're looking at probably more like an hour to hour. <laughs> you, got you.
0: Yeah. Oh, you, got yeah. you Cool. All right, Curtis, well, I'll let you go, man. Thanks again for your time and and Merry Christmas to you and the fam. Merry Christmas. You guys take care. My pleasure. You got it, Thanks for having me on. You got it.